Coming live from Redmond, Washington, USA, is our guest tonight. Welcome to this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live, the show which ensures that you profit from your time spent here with experts, either through their industry insights, information, or simply learning from them. And today we have William A. Adams, Technical Advisor to CTO at Microsoft, a speaker, top-notch speaker, and philanthropist. Welcome to the show, William, straightway from your home office in Redmond, Washington, USA. Thank you. Thank you. I was listening to that announcement. I was like, man, this sounds like it's going to be an exciting boxing match. You're so enthusiastic. <laughs> it will certainly be a lot of learning, a lot of exciting conversation with you. And I, a lot of people are listening to this, watching this, and trying to will try to understand the great work that you are doing, not just in terms of technology, but more than that in empowering people, empowering, you know, especially the black community, doing a lot of philanthropic work. And as you are a great speaker, so you contribute it in the best manner possible. So, you know, uh, William, just, just see the difference. I don't know anything about tech. I'll understand tech from, you know, beyond operating a computer or a laptop, I don't know anything about tech. And, well, you know, I'm always scared. And today I'm scared, a bit afraid that I don't click on something wrong button and this show goes off because there is so much to know. And what about you? You, you know, see, what? you are I, I'm the same advisor though. to CTO at Microsoft. You have joined, you, you came into Microsoft in 1998 around. Yeah. And, you know, worked on this critical XML code and then you became part of uh, what you call... Uh, the first technical advisor to CTO, at, uh, to CTO Kevin Scott. Yeah. And there are so many things you have worked on. You know, uh, X, you got a chance to work with Xbox. You declined it. Then there was a lot of work you did on anything. Your, your product was taken by CIA. And, you know, so many things you have been doing. So we will be talking about tech, certainly. But first of all, you know, I will talk about the India connection. Let Indian mm. audience first know about, you know, where you have... The road a lot of times you motorcycle and as you said you have a house in Hyderabad. So tell us about the motorcycle, your India connection, and obviously about Hyderabad. We begin yeah. with that. All right. Well, in uh, 2005, actually, I went to India. I was part of a group called Engineering Excellence, and our mission was to help train our engineers how to be better engineers. Um, this was a time where we were learning about security and internet. Um, cyber attacks and stuff like that. So I went to India to visit with uh, the people who were uh, creating our Hyderabad office. And they said, why don't you come here and teach our engineers? Uh, don't go to China. <laughs> so uh, they asked me nicely and they, we laid out a program of things they wanted to do with all the, the college freshers. Every year, 300 came into Microsoft um, in the Hyderabad office. And we had no way of really um, getting them trained up. So I, I went and I said, okay. So in 2006, I joined. Uh, so I worked at the Hyderabad office in uh, Gachiboli. Um, and that was just one building. Now there, I think they're up to four buildings now. But I essentially for three years trained our engineers how to become engineers. And it was everything from the college freshers up to people who were trying to be architects. Uh, and that's what I did. And I saw them build building two and building three and you know, I lived um, 
first in a house, then in a couple of apartments. And uh, I met my wife um, at that time. Uh, I, I learned to ride motorcycle because I didn't want to be afraid to walk out on the street. And your listeners will know how dramatic it is um, to be on the streets in India. And just think for an American who's used to the rules where the green light means go and the red light means stop. And it's like, well, it's not like that. And that was scaring away a lot of my expat friends. And I thought, no, I'm going to go local, you know. So I learned how to ride a, a what was it, a Honda, I forgot what the name of the thing is, 100cc motorcycle. <laughs> and uh, I was just on the streets with everybody else, honking my way through traffic and being two inches away from everybody and dodging cows and all the rest. Uh, so that's that was my my um, Indian story, I suppose. And you, you still try to... He captured the exhilaration of riding a motorcycle in India yeah. right there at Red, Redmond. So sometimes whenever it is, uh, you get a chance. Yeah. 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 So now, yeah, William, carry on. Well, that that's pretty much it. The, the, I okay. learned a lot of things by being in India. Uh, one was just about, and this is really a credit to my wife, um, just the importance of family. Um, you know, she would, she would say, oh, okay, you earn all this money, but why? <laughs> you know, what's the point of all this? Your family is what really matters. I mean, don't don't throw away all that money, but your family is important. Um, and this is something for, you know, for me as an American. Yeah, of course, family is important, but not like in India where family is important, you know, and responsibilities. Um, I have uh, eight sister-in-laws and uh, we take care of them because that's my responsibility. You know, uh, I'm the... Um, at this point, I'm the brother, if you will, right? <laughs> and the brother who's the brother. And that's a serious commitment, you know, complete with, oh, our, my youngest uh, uh, sister-in-law still needs to get married. And that's my responsibility to help her find a husband. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting connection for me. It's really changed my, the way I think about life and the things that I do was because of my time in India, I think. Yes. Yes, the things that you do, you know, putting so much of money, your own money, $200,000 of your money in empowering people, doing more for, for the community. We'll talk yeah. about that, uh, William, for sure. That's what we wanted to, I've been wanting to talk about, you know. But yeah. first, you know, first about the tech part, you know. You want to promote diversity and, you know, you, you believe that technology exists to empower people. Yes. Yeah. And there's a very clear distinction between being a technology consumer. Um, I have props. Uh, we're all consumers, right? We all have phones. That makes us tech consumers. We, a lot of us have computers. Um, some of us have too many computers. So that makes us consumers of technology. Um, while we are all consuming, uh, the people who own the technology, the people who have an equity share in the companies that make the technology, the people who have the patents, uh, as that um, as the wealth is headed towards technology, those people are getting rich and therefore making decisions about how the rest of us live, right? right. So they have the equity in technology. Uh, so I just recognize that well, if that's the way it is, that having equity in technology is a road towards self-determination in the world, 
then I'm interested in getting other people to have an equity share of technology and not just being a consumer of technology, but being the people who are owning the patents, who are owning the companies, who are owning the stock, right? This is equity. So as um, the, the wealth based on technology rises, other people's base of wealth also rises, right? So I'm interested in getting my uh, melanin-enhanced people, I'll say, uh, to become owners of technology. And that means helping people become um, programmers or helping them start companies or anything related to tech. And tech doesn't only mean you work for Microsoft or you know um, Apple. I, it, technology is everything these days, from farming to um, filling out prescription drugs to just everything. Everything is tech. Uh, so it's not just you get a programming job at Microsoft. It's also you learn how to do statistical analysis so that you can do machine learning so that you can work for an insurance company in tech, right? right? If that's what your passion is. Um, or same with farming or medicine or any any field, you know, just finding a tech angle. Uh, so that's what, and I call this techquity, right? Uh, right. You have, you have I, love, equity. I love that. I love that word. I love that hashtag, uh, William. That's yeah. great. Yeah. So I just tried to encapsulate in one word, like, well, what are you, what are you after? What do you mean? It's like, well, techquity. It's equity in tech. It's as simple as that because that's the rising tide. Uh, right now is technology. So having a boat in that rising tide is what's going to lift everyone up. Uh, if you don't have a boat in that tide, you get drowned, right? So you don't want to be drowned by tech. You want to be in a boat <laughs> so that you rise up with as that wealth um, rises up in the world. Right. Right, William. Now, in terms of you put it so nicely that tech to empower people and tech is not just, you know, doing uh, the high-end work or about programming and all. Yeah. But I wanted to understand from you, from a person who has seen tech from so close and still has maintained the human part of it. Now, a lot of people in different settings, it's not happening that way. Earlier, tech was supposed to free humans from your you know, manual work and a lot yeah. of other stuff. It was supposed to give you time to spend with your family, make you more efficient, empower you. Hmm. And you are still working on that empowerment, you know, uh, yeah. uh, in a different <laughs> manner. You are the co-founder of, you know, diversity and inclusion program, LEAP. So we'll yes. come to that. Now, in terms of tech, if you see, when humans are in workplaces everywhere, they got so much of tech in their hands to make their life easy. But you see work stress, unhappiness. Yeah. And then tech has come into spying, almost like spying on employees itself, keeping a tab in the name of productivity. Right. Everybody, yeah. everybody, everybody can have their own view on this. There is no right or wrong on this, but depends on which side you are. But I'm talking as a general person, how I see it. Yeah. Then the same tech is being used by governments to use uh, them to their benefit to stay in power. It's a global, another sort of a pandemic. Anybody who's in power wants to use the tools that are present there. We'll not make it a political discussion, but I'm just trying to bring to you that where we started with technology and where we are. Then companies yeah. are doing uh, spying. There, there is collection of data. Uh, 
data you know there is loss of freedom in terms of data privacy even your you see and it's not a negative way but you made a a, a technology which was bought by cia instant messaging so yeah. in in a in a way technology is being used in a such a manner that human some as a as a whole i think has taken some places a backseat how do you see it from where you are at the moment yeah i think this is a very important point that uh, and this has been true throughout uh humanity right there has always been technology i mean let's just look at something like the bow and arrow a bow and arrow can help you hunt and get food right. right and before the bow and arrow all we had was rocks rocks and sticks <laughs> and driving the animals off a cliff or something like that um, so the bow and arrow comes along and that's that can help you hunt and, and feed your people. It can also be used to kill other people, right, and subjugate them and all the rest. Um, so what's critical throughout history and what's critical today is that we have to maintain our, our, our humanity, right? Like when we do data gathering, uh, there's lots of different things you can do by gathering data. Uh, you can come up right. with autonomous self-driving cars but that same data can be used to surveil a population, right? And what's critical is that the people who are creating the technology have that perspective to say, well, hold on. Yes, we can use this technology to do this thing over here, surveillance, but we shouldn't, right? It's up to us as humans to say, yes, we can, but no, we're not going to, right? We have to look at the technology and not let the technology serve itself right? We have to step in and say, in the service of humans, right? Like, I, as you mentioned, you can use technology to increase um, the efficiency of manufacturing. That doesn't mean you then right. turn to the humans and say, now work harder so you can match the machine. You right. know, you should be saying, the machine can do that heavy labor for you. We're going to send you to college so you can learn something new so that you can advance human civilization into new areas, right? And that's the critical part. And this is why it's important for people, uh, I wouldn't even say like us, like you, <laughs> to get into tech because you will bring a different perspective. You'll get in there as a journalist and say, it's not about um, driving productivity for humans. The robots have got that. It's about poetry. You know, It's about the human experience. Now we have time to take a step back and say, well, which direction do we want to go? Right. Let's not just jump on the treadmill and try to run faster, be more productive, crack the whip. You know, that's that's not good. We should be taking a step back. So this is why it's important to me to get more different perspectives into tech so that we have a different outcome other than just serving tech to serve tech. Right. More dollars right. for the people that own it, less dollars for people who don't. You know, it's like, no, we got to even that out. The tech has to serve humanity or else there's no point. Right. We all will just be under the thumb of tech if we don't do that. If we don't assert our humanity, we'll lose it. Right. 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 And you see, William, the biggest concern that I have or I see around is the loss of empathy between yes. human empathy. beings. Yes. Empathy the is the most important aspect. That's what we yes. bring that the machines don't. Yes. <laughs> right. Yes. Everywhere you see, uh, you are sitting next to another person and you are talking to them on that internal, you know, communication system. I don't yeah. know when we turn towards that. Are we so scared of each other 
of denying things that are on record that they will deny it so you put it on a system that it is there so you cannot deny it or you don't yeah. want to communicate or you don't like human smell you don't like human beings around how is it that we have moved away from another human being just next to you you know and technology seem to have you know i don't know that technology was meant for that i want your perspective how does it uh, how did this happen when did this shift happen actually you know that well, we lost always, our empathy yeah i think it's uh, it's a convenience thing i mean again going back through history um let's blame the telephone let's blame the telegraph right okay. let's blame smoke signals from a distance as soon as you can um not see the person you're communicating with you have the opportunity to lose empathy right hatred of others has always existed this is why we fight wars right i want what you have and i'm going to demonize you and dehumanize you so that i can take what you have and and make myself okay with it so we've always had the propensity for losing empathy for other right uh in india even we have caste system let's call it what it is i mean there's there's plenty of non empathy in every society right technology just amplifies our ability to pull that bad part of our humanity out right it makes it easier it's it's not that technology drove non empathy technology just makes it easier for us to be non empathetic right uh it's a convenience so like you said i mean i if you walk out into the street you see plenty of people like this walking down the street as you said you know they're they're looking right here and there's a a swarm of people walking by them but it's no different than in the 80s when we had our headphones on listening to our walkman right it's like you're trying to tune out what's around you and just be in your own little world tech just makes it easier with with this you get to capture your eyeballs too as well as your ears so you got your white you know headphones in and your your eyeballs are connected here and that's your world instead of the world that's around you so the propensity for um losing empathy has always existed it's part of the human condition we've always been tribal we've always had us versus them that's how we survive um but technology makes it easier right now can we pull back can we can we re um can we use technology to increase our empathy right uh, in some cases it does because the fact that i can hear from someone who's a protester uh, because they're tweeting live as they're being beat up <laughs> you know well that increases my empathy i didn't know that was happening at all before and if i have empathy for their situation i now know about it because of the technology so the technology is it's a dual edged sword right it's like it can bring you closer to people i mean when you're walking down the street doing this you're close to somebody you're just not close to the people that are around you so your tribe can be selective right that's what technology does it allows you to choose a tribe that's not physically around you so i can choose a virtual tribe um if you're uh if you're a protester you you love cats you can team up with all the cat lovers in your city through technology whereas before you couldn't right and maybe your tribe is all people that love cats so technology certainly has the ability to distract and cause uh empathy to uh distance but it also has the ability to pull together so just like the bow and arrow it can help you hunt or it can help you kill other people so technology can help you pull together or it can help drive you apart right 
Um, I think our consciousness is what puts us down one path or the other. If we're aware of what's going on, then we have an ability to choose what to do, right? If you don't understand what's going on, then you just kind of go with the flow and you end up in a bad place and you didn't know how you got there, right? And this is the part that I think is key for us as humans. If we want to exist in the future uh, with our humanity is to recognize this fact, right? Technology is a dual-edged sword and it can pull together or it can push apart and you have to decide what you're going to do with it, right? Right, William. It's so nice to hear about these things and from a person like you who has been amidst tech and who is talking about everything like uh, any other human uh, human being normal being which is uh, which is a difficult thing in today's time you know and and it you it makes actually you know uh, me more hopeful that you will certainly and you are already that there will be some tech which will help us you know take back our steps back towards empathy you know just as you said that you don't want to be remembered for your inventions or achievements you just want everyone to love each other yeah pretty much at the end of the day it's like are you going to remember any code that i wrote in the last 40 years no of course you're not it's going to be gone but will you remember that i helped a bunch of you know women and minorities get jobs in tech and therefore advance their lives better yes that will last probably 20 30 years maybe right Right. And that's what you are doing. So I'll just ask one more question about tech, not about tech exactly. But you see, we have reached to a level where machines are learning, you know, hmm. machine learning is so much prevalent. Machines are learning. Now, what should humans do? What should they learn? Or, you know, what should humans will have to learn now? Yeah, well, I think there's a, I wrote a paper a few years ago, uh, which taught, it was called Workforce 2050. And it was predicting what the workforce would be in 2050 and what we should do about it. And I recognize exactly what you just said, which is, well, the machine, the machine is going to learn more. So my job as a programmer today is to type a bunch of code and to compile it and run it and you know tell the machine what to do. Uh, pretty soon that job's not gonna exist because why? I mean, even now I can just type a comment like, you know, create a chart that does, you know, shows GDP and the machine can just deal with it. Um, what's important in that environment is that humanity and humans connect with machines and there's a dual um, programmer, if you will, where we, we bring in the perspective of the human because we want the machines to serve our needs. We don't want to serve the machine's needs, right? So I think as we uh, leverage technology, it's important to bring in philosophy and social science and just um, art and all these other sorts of things. We must bring humanity into the, um, what, into the machine world or else the machines will not serve us. They'll serve themselves and we'll find ourselves on the outside. So I think it's, it's if I were to, you know, well, I do have young children. I train my young children to focus on what it means to be human, what it means to have empathy. Um, my son's name, Rahim, means mercy, right? <laughs> so it's like uh, I want him to bring that into the world and tell people why mercy is important and therefore tell the machinery why mercy is important and what it looks like, right? 
So that's where I think as humans, our, our thing is. But there's also an, an evolution of our humanity where it's like, but why do we exist, right? Why are we here? Are we just here to procreate and, and perpetuate? Are we just a virus? Or is there some extended purpose where we're supposed to head to the stars or evolve in some way? And whatever that is, that's what we're going to do next. We're going to leave behind the toil of existence it's like, oh, the machine's a goddess as far as creating food and, all, and medicine and all that sort of stuff. So why are we here, right? Okay. So it's a philosophical point as much as anything else. And once we stop trying to kill each other and take what someone else has <laughs> for scarcity, um, we, will, we will get to that next level where it's like, all right, so we no longer have to worry about the land, the food, the medicine, all the, why are we here? So that's what I, I think happens. And we will... If we tell the tech to help us do that, uh, we'll get in a good place. If all we do is tell the tech how to kill other people, then we're, we won't exist. Right? <laughs> That'll be the end of us. Right, right. And that's why you are spending so much of your time, you know, apart from, you know, the DIA program leap you are doing, yeah. you know, you have this event, something called event. Yep. Collaborative community-based hackathon that uses technology to solve critical real-world problems right. tell us about this this is the crucial part actually yeah let me let me pull a couple of things together um so there's a oh there's so many stories so i've i've spent a, uh some time helping us um microsoft to get into africa with development centers and during my time there i visited this this area called kibera which is a slum in um kenya it's one of probably the world's biggest slum it's like a million people and uh i toured the area with uh, some of the locals and talked to them about their issues and whatnot. And what you find in a place like that is, okay, they have advanced degrees in engineering and all sorts of other stuff. They're not dumb. You know, they just lack various opportunities and don't have certain resources. Uh, and they have challenges like, oh, we're awash in plastics, right? Like any community is, you know, too much plastic uh, waste. And you look at that and you say, okay, there's a there's classic ways of solving problems like that where uh, some NGOs come in and uh, maybe the UN and they say, here's some dollars. Now you're going to do what we tell you to do. Um, but that's not satisfying because those local people don't have an equity share in that solution. So it's like someone comes in, tells them what to do and then leaves. Right. And leaving them with no um, no wealth in creating the, the solution. So the event essentially would go into a place uh, anywhere and say, what are your, ask the community with humility, what are your challenges? We have a bunch of uh, plastic waste. We don't know how to deal with it. Okay, let me bring in some experts from around the world um, who are going to first give us a little bit of education and then they're going to sit down with us over the next few days to actually come up with some solutions to this challenge, right? Uh, maybe someone says, oh, you need, you need a pyrolysis plant to turn that plastic back into uh, fuel oil. Or, oh, we, we have this thing to separate different kinds of plastics so that you can then shred it and turn it back into uh, goods. Um, so anyway, you work with the, those experts and you come up with solutions in the community. And that community can then create a business around that solution. Now that community owns that business. They have an equity share in that solution. Uh, as I was talking about, tech equity, right? It's like, 
you need an equity share in the solution so that it works for you community and other communities say, hey, we want that solution too. We would like to buy it from you. Great. The community that created it gets the proceeds of that business, right? Because they own the equity share in the solution. It's not Monsanto, right? It's not some outside company. It's their community owns the solution. So they reap the benefits of um, other people trying to buy that solution. So that's what the event is about. It's essentially going to a community, finding their hard challenges, bringing various resources in to help them come up with solutions, and then leaving behind um, a viable commercial entity that owns the solution and drives it for that community and beyond, right? And then you're also leaving them with the ability to come up with solutions on their own, right? Which is critical. You've now trained them how to hack a solution and turn it into a business so that the next problem that comes along, perhaps it's around growing food locally, food security. Um, they now know how to go about trying to solve the problem. They have the connections to our network of resources. They can pull together their own event and then they can tackle that problem, right? So that's what the event is all about is enabling local communities to create their own solutions and have an equity share in that solution. Right, right. William, you have had a long journey in this, you know, and, and a lonely journey, I can say in some way, perhaps, you know, being the only black man in the all those, you know, Silicon Valley big rooms and, you know, dealing with the problems, solving the problems for many years until I guess maybe last five, seven years before yeah. you started seeing more black people in this. Now, what did you learn from this? What did you understand? Is it that who makes these differences? Obviously, I'm in terms of taking an example, even in Microsoft, it's not like that Bill Gates will tell, listen, you don't have more black people. And we got only one uh, William and that, that that's enough. We don't need <laughs> any more. He will not never say that. Then where do the system get such cues not to have more chances to, you know, people of different colors? Yeah, well, it's again, it's it's human nature is to be tribal, which just leads us towards um, you will hire people like you, right? And if your earliest days, in, in the case of Microsoft, it was mostly white guys. So they hired more white guys. Um, and that just perpetuates those white guys that they hired will hire more white guys, <laughs> you know. And in the earliest days of Microsoft, um, there was a, a certain geekery around uh, tech, and it was mostly a bunch of white guys. So like hires like, and then that becomes an, an unknown bias, right? Hidden bias. They don't realize that that's what's going on. It's just what they do. And then you codify it by saying, well, we go to the top universities you know, we go to the top 15 schools in the country or in the world and we we, we hire from them. What do you mean? There just so happens to be no women, <laughs> you know, there just so happens to be no black. So don't blame me, blame the system. So for the longest time, we allowed that to be the excuse. It's like, well, the pipeline just doesn't have people. So, you know, it's not my fault. It's the system. Uh, okay. So you have to go, someone has to go out of their way to say, well, let's look somewhere else, <laughs> right? Uh, in the earliest days, uh, somebody uh, said, we need more Indians <laughs> at Microsoft. 
Uh, and that was true across Silicon Valley. And there was a whole influx of Indians in Silicon Valley in California um, for electronics, for software, for all sorts of things. There were probably two distinct waves. Um, so somebody who was in an executive enough position said, we're going over there. And then suddenly you have an influx. So now um, I at least and a few other people at the company said, we're going to Africa, you know, and we were influential right. enough that we could make it happen. I hired people in Kenya, you know, that's how it happened. It's like, I don't care what you all say, I'm hiring people in Kenya. And I got a few other people to hire in Kenya. And then within a year, we brought the big guns, you know, windows and office. And, and it's like, yes, Africa, you know, Uber Alice. But it takes somebody who has enough influence to just say, we're changing this. And that was true for LEAP. The LEAP program is about, was about hiring women and minorities. And we just changed the script. We said, let's stop trying to go just to the top universities. Look at all these coding academies. Look at these community colleges. Look at all these career switchers. Look at all these mothers who have PhDs in computer science who just have been out of the market for seven years. Let's hire them, right? And I had enough force and insight and methodology and Rolodex to be able to bring those people in and say, hey, look, here's somebody different. Uh, you should hire them. And people went, oh, okay, we never thought about doing it that way. So it, it requires um, courage and conviction of somebody who has enough uh, skills, resources, connections, whatever, to say, we're changing this. We're going outside the norm. We're going to step away from the way we've been doing it. And therefore, here we go, right? Uh, that's what it takes. So you have to have a... Uh, discontinuous, um, instead of just doing the normal growth, you have to have a discontinuity that says, oh, we're, we're going to do it different, right? We're going to go in this different direction than we've normally been doing. And enough of the leadership around has to say, okay, we're willing to try that out, right? And then it happens. Uh, without that, it, you don't get that kind of change and things are just status quo and they remain the way they are, right? And that's where you are bringing the real change, you know? You are on a mission to help black blacks, women, and other undeserved, uh, underrepresented, underserved, underserved, <laughs> underserved, sorry, uh, underserved communities get right. an ownership stake in technologies companies. So it's not about just a job, but right. it's also it's more you deserve more than a seat at the table, own the table, own create the your own I'm putting you here. I'm putting yep. you here, William. Yep. Own your own, own the table, create your own table, stop chasing the, the taillights of other people's successes, create your own success. Exactly. Right. Okay. And and when you own the table and own the wealth, what would be like? It will be only for some uh, inclusive or it will be just people who have been, you know, uh, left out by the system. Well, ultimately, we're a human family. So. Uh, by creating more tables, more seats at the tables, uh, you're essentially saying, hey, we matter too, right? And I'm not going to show up at my table and then look at you and say, well, you, you're not welcome at my table. I'm going to set up my table and I'm going to look at you and say, you can come sit at my table, right? And then maybe you'll say, okay, you can come sit at my table. So it's a way of saying, let's put us on an equal footing because the machines are doing all the labor for us. So let's put ourselves on an equal footing so that we can work together to advance humanity, right? It should not be that only 0.1% of the world's population owns 90% of the wealth and the decision-making, right? 
So you want to expand that so that more of us can have part, take part in the decision-making, right? And that unfortunately means spreading wealth, right? Because that's how influence is um, often made uh, or it's part of it. So by creating more tables, creating more wealth, creating more self-determination, uh, this is what the goal is, right? So that more people can be advantaged by the advance of technology rather than uh, subjugated by it, right? Right, right, William. So how are things now? Are they uh, changing for the better? How would you see the present? You see, you are the uh, taking care of the DEI programs and all that stuff. Even you are in the you are the co-founder DNI program lead. So yeah. how these things are working? How is the general situation uh, at the Silicon Valley? Is it is it better? Is it more inclusive now, or or a lot of more work needs to be done? Um, it's an evolution. So there is a certainly, well, I'll give you an example. So just last week I went to lunch with somebody and, uh, two things happened. One was when I was waiting for them, um, a group of, uh, interns walked by and there's like five of them and they were all black. And I was like, huh, I have never seen that before. Right. Where there is like a group of interns and they were all black. Right. And they were probably from different groups. So that was one. And then the other one was we were at lunch and I saw a couple of um, black folks uh, at lunch and they're in tech and it just looked like regular people. So the the amount of diversity I'm actually starting to see on campus is improving. Uh, there's certainly a lot more women than when I started in 1998. Um, blacks and Hispanics, you know, is increasing. Now, that's for the U.S. OK. Uh, in Africa, it's not about blacks because everyone, well, I shouldn't say that. Not everyone's black, but it's not about blacks. It's about women. And in uh, India, same thing. It's about women and it's about tribals. So in Africa, in Nigeria specifically, we had whole cohorts, 20, 30 women at a time, um, women, nothing but women. And this is one of those things that's like, well, that's never happened before. Just imagine, you know, you've got 20, 30 women going into a tech company all at once. Um, this is not the norm for Nigeria, right? So I'm seeing the fact that it's happening and roll forward five to 10 years, those people will now be the hiring managers and hopefully they'll hire differently, right? They will hire with more inclusion in mind. Uh, that's my hope. So I am seeing the changes. It's slow. And the progress, if you go by the numbers, it's like, oh, it just is pathetic. Um, but it's happening. So it's going to take time. Uh, and things like LEAP and, and other programs have to still exist. Um, but it's a challenge because when you hit things like recessions and whatnot, everyone says, forget that diversity stuff. Let's go back to hiring white guys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, it happens all the time. So it's cyclical. So you have to hit it hard when your time comes up where people care about hiring diverse talent. Uh, and then during the lulls, you have to make sure that you're tutoring, mentoring, you know, advancing their careers and all that sort of stuff. Right. So it's a, it's a long fight really. Um, but it, it's slowly turning. Right. Right. And when you say now that at Mike, uh, you know, advisor, uh, technical advisor to the CTO at Microsoft is uh, you have a strange job that instead of working full time on technical initiatives, you work mostly on 
people's problems. So is that a isn't that a positive sign at the moment? Oh, I think so. I mean, and I've since left the office of the CTO and I'm doing other things. Um, but you never you never stop being uh, the technical advisor. It kind of carries uh, across your different jobs that you might do. And yeah, I think the value that I bring to the company at this age is the that human factor, you know, not just the pure tech factor. I mean, I'm a good technologist and I can figure out oh, what's going to come in 10 years and all that sort of stuff. And that's useful. But what's more important is to be able to say, now that I know that's coming in 10 years, what is the human angle? Let's make sure that we don't lose humanity as that thing is approaching. As machine learning is approaching, what's the what do we have to do to make sure our data collection, for example, is right. equitable, right? Or And that we have a philosophical approach to it and an ethical approach to it, right? Uh, so those are the important things. We're getting closer to where technologists such as myself um, must think about the human aspect and not just the pure, you know, gee whiz tech aspect of it. Right. Human aspect, uh, that's that's so, so important. And especially, you know, people at workplaces who are giving so much of time. So that is where, you know, the, the, as humans, you have aspirations also. Right. And that is where you talk about... Uh, intrapreneurs yeah. within the organization and and you say tech inclusion initiatives that pay off for the company and the world can you yeah. tell us about that because that's a great direction for a lot of people who are on the tech side they can be entrepreneurs uh, within the company itself and benefit and it will be beneficial for everybody yeah tell i mean how, you know it, people can uh, learn more about it and know more yeah, entrepreneurship is, and different companies do this in different ways, uh, but it's essentially saying, all right, um, I, for example, sit at Microsoft. Oh, I'm sorry, I have a, I have to take my kids to a dentist appointment. That's why I keep right, right, right. looking off to the side. No. Um, so I'll, we'll have to, we'll have to wrap up. But entrepreneurship yeah, yeah. is, a, I, I sit at a big company. We have lots of resources. We're one of the biggest companies in the world. Um, can I use my position at the company and all these resources around me to do things like leap, you know, leap hiring women and minorities? Um, can certainly I can create product, right? That's what we expect to do. But can I leverage these positions to do something slightly off the beaten path that shows the company a different way or a different path to doing something, right? So it's essentially using your position within a, a big company to create something because when you go out to the outside world it's a lot harder right right because you got to convince the outside world so better to start within your company where they know you right and they know your track record and they can give you resources and if it uh, turns out to be something the company doesn't want to support but it, it probably has uh, some value you can then go outside the company and do uh, something interesting, right? Uh, but you at least got to incubate it within the company. Uh, so entrepreneurship is essentially just being that entrepreneur within the company that you're in, right? Right, right. Where actually people have stake uh, in, in the good of the businesses. Yeah. Right, right. William, I know you have to go and, you know, within this much time, you can only talk as much. There is so much more to talk and this is yeah. just the beginning. <laughs> Life, will, lifetime um, of stories. <laughs> yes, yes. And we will certainly 
try and capture as many stories as possible because those are not tech stories from you, William. They are mostly human, uh, human, human stories. So that yeah. is what I'm more interested in, where tech empowers humans and does not uh, do otherwise. Right. So thank you very much for, for your time. With this, it's a wrap on this very special edition of the KJ Masterclass Live. Thank you so much once again. All right, you're welcome.